Well, in our series, we've been going uh, loosely inspired by a book called The Way of the Shepherd. We've been hearing the story of a guy named Ted McBride, the CEO of General Technologies. And he told a story about how the leadership principles he learned in his company that became one of the companies with the highest uh, satisfaction amongst employees as well as fastest growing for many years that he learned years earlier when he finished his MBA from his mentor and teacher, a man named Jack Newman. Well, the lesson about the staff was similar. He found himself walking into Jack Newman's office and several things he noticed right away about Jack Newman's office. First, it was just filled with books. And this guy had read every subject, business books, leadership books, history books, philosophy books. He got there early. Apparently, Jack was taking a phone call. And he noticed all around the room were knickknacks as well. Seemingly, he had traveled the world because there were things from Asia and England, things from areas he didn't even notice. In fact, he found himself saying out loud, man, this guy's been everywhere. Sitting on his desk was a rod as well as a shepherd's crook. He picked it up and said, this guy's got more knickknacks than anyone I know. It was at that moment that Jack walked in the door. He said, well, I wouldn't call him knickknacks. He said, well, you know what I mean. He realized Jack had not yet uh, graded his final exam, was trying to play nice. He said, this is a shepherd's crook. Now, they probably weren't crooked back in biblical days, but they certainly have been for years and, and even centuries since then. He said, the thing about the shepherd is one of the most important tools a shepherd uses is the staff. He says, why is that? Jack says, well, one of the things you need to realize about a shepherd is that he's able to lead sometimes up to a hundred sheep at a time with the staff. And while the sheep are keeping their head down, eating away, focused on in business, on their job, focused on the next day and the next thing, the shepherd's job is to lead them by keeping his head up. By looking at the landscape of where are we going for the next three years, five years, ten years. His job is to direct the sheep and to use that staff as a way of directing them and helping them. In fact, Egyptians, going back to 4000 B.C., it's been recorded that they had wool clothes. Which means these principles of leadership and shepherding are ancient. They go back to 4000 B.C., he said the shepherd would not only use the crook to lead and to guide and to see the new horizons, but he also used it to set boundaries. See, he does have a rod, and a rod is much stronger. But what he uses the shepherd's staff for is to nudge the sheep back in place, to nudge them when they start getting off course. Tell them, say, hey, we're heading over here. Hey, there's danger over there. Guys, 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 nudge, nudge. And part of what we do as leaders, as parents, is we use the staff to nudge. Hey, hey. Well, you're getting a little off base. Well, danger over there. Hey, head this direction. To which uh, Ted said, well, why is it that sheep go in the wrong direction? He said, whether it's employees, whether it's friends, whether it's kids, whether it's grandkids. The thing about being a sheep is you're, you're face down. You're just focused on the next thing and the next thing and your next meal. And next thing you know, you nibble your way into some dangerous spot and you look up and say, where am I? <laughs> And how did I get here? And the shepherd will take his staff and he will go looking for his sheep. He said the same thing's true with employees. Things seem true with kids. There's times they're going to nibble their way into bad pasture, into dangerous situations. And you'll use that staff to go looking for them under trees and under branches. Sometimes you'll find them. They'll be out of reach. And so you'll have to use your staff to help guide them and pull them and yank them out of bad situations. He says the other thing about the staff, though, is that it is a weapon. 
Its third purpose is that it is used for defeating predators. It is used for fighting off the bear and the lion. The rod is used as well. But the staff was a sign to the sheep that the shepherd would protect them. That when predators came and they, the, the, they would flock together, they would watch the shepherd go out and the shepherd would defeat the enemies. He, he would be the predator to stop the predators that would come and attack them. So the sheep had an affirmation or an affinity toward the heart of the shepherd because he knew the shepherd would protect them. Ted said that principle that he learned so many years earlier with his mentor, Jack, became very critical in his leadership as a CEO of a company. And the principle I want to describe this way, it's the shepherd's protection builds the flock's confidence in his direction. I mean, this many times, especially if you're a shepherd and you're trying to share with a family or share with an organization or department, hey, I think we need to head in a new direction. People don't like change. People are just focused on doing their thing and change is scary. But when they trust the shepherd, hey, we're doing this because we're protecting us. We're setting the long-term reign and, and gain for the company. We've got to make these changes because we're not just looking at the next six months. We're looking at the next three years that we need to reinvent ourselves. That when you trust that the shepherd's there to protect you, to do what's best for you, for the company, for, for your ch- children, they begin to trust the nudges. They begin to trust. In fact, if, if, you, if you use the rod too often, you lose trust. If you don't use the rod at all, you lose trust. The leader has this ability to know when to use the staff and when to use the rod, when to use it to set boundaries, when to use it to set direction, when to go after those who are hurting and lost in a way that says to the other sheep, the shepherd cares about you. They're my responsibility. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're looking at some lessons. And, and I think by applying this principle, one, we're going to understand that clear direction is critical to every organization, every relationship. Two, that building trust is the fundamental issue. A lot of us have all these sideways problems with gossip and things in our, in our departments and in our family. But the real issue is not working on the gossip. It's building trust. Do we trust each other? There's less micromanagement when you're able to have that kind of relationship where we set the boundaries and give people ownership. And we all want colleagues, friends, teams that are willing to go to the mat for us. And sheep, flocks that are confident in our protection are going to go to the mat with us when it comes to setting the direction. Three lessons we're going to look at. The first lesson is that sheep or the flock give allegiance to a shepherd who protects them. Nowhere is this more true than a shepherd by the name of David. We know him, maybe you know him as the person who defeated Goliath. He will eventually become the king of Israel. But between here and there, he also becomes a man who inspires many American idol songs in his day. But notice, as a shepherd, how a, what a warrior he was. Saul said to David, he's about to go fight against Goliath, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. He's a man of war. Shepherds aren't people of war. You're too small. You're too young. You don't have what it's made out of. Real leaders are warriors, not shepherds. There's that stereotype. And look what David says. You don't know shepherds. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it. I struck it and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it rose against me, I caught it by the beard. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like that. That's some brave kid. But not only is it brave, it's also someone who is trained. 
I mean, imagine if you're one of David's sheep. A wolf comes and grabs one of the sheep and drags it off. You're another one of the sheep. You say, that's too bad. That's too bad. Right? <laughs> well, imagine the shepherd goes, oh. the shepherd says, well, at least we got 99 more. You'd be like, oh, man, I might be the next. When the shepherd goes after that sheep, rescues him, defeats the predator, you feel more secure because you know your shepherd cares about each person individually. When you're in a family and you know your mom and your dad, though you're different from your brother or sister, that you are valued, that you are protected. If you make mistakes, mom and dad go after you. They care about you. They love you enough to nudge you and to say, whoa, be careful over here. So much so that the allegiance that David will experience is that after he defeats Goliath, they write songs about this guy. You talk about allegiance. Here's one of the songs they wrote. They they sing a song and they say, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And they begin to sing the songs of their allegiance to this shepherd, this leader, this warrior. Saul was too scared, even though he was a slinger. He came from a tribe of slingers. He didn't have the guts to go out with his staff or with his sword or with his sling. But David did. And inspired allegiance. Now, David will eventually be chased up and down the field by Saul for years. And in the midst of that, David needs to form a group of men that could help protect him. And he begins shaping a group of, of shepherds that become his friends, his mighty men, as they're often called. But then he becomes king. And it comes time for him to choose his secret service of the day, his top guards. He begins to look around to see what kind of a leader he wants to take care of his protection. And he chooses another shepherd, a man by the name of Benaiah. Benaiah was also a shepherd warrior. And when you hear his story, you're going to see why David chose him to be his top security guard. Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kezabel, who had been, done many, many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He'd also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Let's pause there for a second. He killed two lion-like heroes. This guy's got the purple heart. He's he's got medals galore for major military victories. But then one day, there's a lion sneaking into the village. He doesn't just, Benaiah doesn't just go, get out of here, lion, shoo! He goes, wow, if we don't kill off the lion, the whole village is in trouble. So he chases the lion, and the lion falls into a pit. If I'm Benaiah, I go, check. He's in a pit. We'll let him starve, whatever it is. Not Benaiah. He jumps into the pit with the lion. All right, we're going to make sure the flock and the community and my friends and my family are safe. I am not coming home until I've defeated the danger. More than that, he jumps into the pit on a snowy day. It's slip, slippery, it's icy. I'm saying, hey, you know what, I'd like to jump in there. It's hard to battle when it's icy. Benaiah jumps into that pit on a snowy day with a lion because he's not going to come home until a village knows that they're safe, till he can say, you're protected and I took care of the danger. Well, after that victory, another thing happens. He killed an Egyptian, a man of great height. So it wasn't Goliath, but pretty tall, five cubits tall. Cubit was the, the length from an elbow to the end of the uh, fingertip. A man of great height, five cubits tall, in the Egyptian's hand was a spear like a weaver's beam. So just this massive weapon the Egyptian had, and Benaiah shows up with a staff, a Joe. Here's what happens. And he, Benaiah, went down to him with a staff 
He wrestled the spear out of the Egyptians' hands. He killed him with his own spear. And these things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did. And he won a name among the three mighty men of David. Indeed, he was more honored than the thirty. And he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. But think how much allegiance and trust you would have that this is the guy who is protecting you. Haven't you had people like that, leaders in your life? Sometimes it might be your parents. Other times it was a particular leader. You worked in companies where you didn't feel like people were out to protect you, and you were in other places, you know, they, this guy's really out, tries to do the right thing. This woman's really in this department. She's going to trust and do what's best for all of us. I remember my first job out of high school, college, rather. I got into this job, and about six months into it, I was a youth pastor. All of a sudden, I had two particular families who didn't like me for still not sure exactly why. They called me into a meeting and they pulled out a notebook of all the things I'd done wrong. I was like, page after page after page. I didn't even know I did that much stuff at all, let alone wrong. I was like, wow, can I see that notebook? And I'm just getting reamed. I mean, I'm thinking, this is my first job. I'm failing here. I'm doing a horrible job. These were nice people. I thought their students liked me. Apparently they didn't. And I'm just, okay, well, what can I learn from that? And my supervisor was in his 40s at the time. His name was Kevin. And Kevin helped guide me through this process, affirm me for being teachable, affirmed me for being open, told me he had my back, told me that this, these particular families had caused trouble in other areas, and he really gave me courage. Now, I, I'd only known him for about six months, but he let me know that he was protecting me. Well, he left staff about five years later, and we did get through that season. And I remember when he left, we were going through old files. We moved from one building to another. And as we went through some files, I, I saw a file that said Chad Hoven on top. So I thought it was for me. I pulled it out. It was actually the report he had done, my supervisor, and getting into the facts of, of what had happened and giving a report on his summary to the elders and to the senior pastor at the time. And so I read it. And, man, I was so affirmed that he was fair. Hey, Chad made some mistakes here. He made some mistakes here. I, I talked to him about this issue here. But this issue was totally blown out of proportion. This was him overestimating the maturity of the group. And I had felt in interacting with him, that I could trust him, that the challenges and the rebukes he was giving me, the nudges he was giving me because he cared for me. But five years after he was gone to see that in writing, it so affirmed that to me. I was talking to a buddy recently, and I won't give you the name, so I was just talking about the, the, the friend and the neighbor. So he's got a friend who's not really a follower of Christ. He's not sure about the Bible, not sure about church. He got divorced recently, and he says, well, maybe I ought to go to church. And I don't know if this is true, but this is his words. The friend says, hey, I heard Crossroads is a great place to hook up. So he decided he's going to go to Crossroads, not because he had any spiritual interest, because that's where he wanted to head. So he heads over there, goes to a couple church services, and uh, he's at home in the neighborhood one day. And his neighbor uh, is a, a Christian. So he heads over to the garage one day and says, hey, what's going on? And they start talking a bit. And the friend Said to his neighbor, said, you know, I've been going to Crossroads for, for, for a little bit. I'm, I'm starting to get to think about God a little bit more. But you know what's weird is my dad never said, I love you. And I just, it's weird that that still impacts me in my, you know, fifties. Well, his neighbor, the Christian, immediately says, you know what, can we stop right now? We need to pray right now that your fa- God will direct your father to tell you that he loves you. Well, the friend could not have felt more awkward. Suddenly we're bowing our heads in, in the garage and he's like, now, God, we just ask that you'll let my friend's dad be prompted to tell him he loves you in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks. And he just got out of there as quickly as possible. It could, could not have been more awkward than that moment. And here's a guy trying to shepherd him, trying to direct him, trying to help him. No, thank you. That's Friday. 
He gets this call the next day on Saturday from his dad. Hey, how's it going? I haven't talked in a while, blah, blah, blah. They're going through just normal chit-chat, conversation about the weather, conversation about sports. And his dad, right before he gets off the phone, says, Hey, you know what, son? I've never told you this. But I want you to know I love you. See ya. Bye. This man, a few words. This guy is blown away. You know, there must be something to this God thing, because anyone can get my dad to say I love you, and that quickly, I, I, I'm open to this, and his spiritual interest got piqued. More than that, this awkward prayer, and this weird, we've got to do something about that now, that felt so strange, and maybe was, he suddenly said, I'm more open to this prayer thing. I'm more open to this spiritual thing. In fact, I'm interested in maybe this neighbor leading me, or guiding me, or being a shepherd in my life. That's our first lesson, is that Flocks give allegiance to shepherds they know protect them. The second one is that shepherds know where they're going. They get out in front and they keep the flock on the move. They know where they're going because the sheep are always focused on what's next. They, they get out in front and they keep the flock on the move. Hey, let's not settle. What's next? Where's the next horizon? My son, Javen's 15 and a half, so we're doing driver's training together. And my son is not Mr. Emotive. He doesn't like to sit around and talk about how he feels about anything. Um, he's more of a typical guy. Now, so when I want to talk about your feelings and everything, it just doesn't go well. So I've had to really adapt my strategies to his strengths and to who he is to meet him. And so I, really, our friendship has just continued to grow. Well, last Thanksgiving, we went out to Colorado together, just he and I. We caught the 4.30 flight, and we actually got to Colorado, drove to the slopes, and we're on the slope by 10.30. Uh, and had a great time. And on that journey, we began to talk about his strengths, his goals, his sort of disdain for traditional sitting in class uh, school, his desire to be debt-free one day and not have college debt. And I said, well, if these are your goals, I lo- I'd love to help you meet those goals. I said, let's put a plan together. And, and during that weekend, we had a great time. We sat in this swimming pool-sized hot tub out overlooking the snow drifts and Went and saw movies, Hunger Games had come out that weekend. And then I put a plan together that we've been working now for the last year that he could actually graduate high school and simultaneously be a junior in college and have all of his college paid for through what's called a college credit program. And so we're going through that. And so he's going to be taking college classes. My daughter just finished 30 hours of college in her senior year that she got paid for for free. And now I'm taking all those lessons applying to my son. It has been so much fun for us to together think about college, save me a bunch of money, but also to look at saving him a bunch of money, and we're thinking about this college thing together. And so, now with Javen, it's always like, oh, I don't really want to get in that college thing again. It's what we talked about. Is this really where we want to go? And we talk about his goals. Is, is this really what you're, uh, yeah, okay, that is what, okay, I really do want to have that. All right, well then, then let's work that together. And it's been fun. We're actually just about to engage in the next stage of that as he heads into his junior year. But I love that idea that many times I'll say, okay, do you trust me? Yeah, Dad, I trust you. Are these still your goals? Yeah. Well, this is a great plan to get there, and let's do it together. You see that, actually, but how God leads. He's always out front leading the people. In fact, the, the phrase that's used of God in, in the book of Exodus is that he walked out before them. Here's what it says in, in Exodus. The Lord went before them. The word in Hebrew is balak, which means to walk. He went before them. He walked before them. Like a shepherd walks before the people, God walked before the people. By day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night. Now, many uh, rabbis in rabbinic midrash 
has said that God did this on purpose, that the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire were made to look like legs. That's why it uses the phrase block. He walked before them. And so they, like sheep, were following the feet of God as they moved. I don't know if that's what the biblical writer intended, but it's good midrash. It's a great idea, this word picture of what it means to follow God. He's out front. He's leading. In fact, if you see a picture of the pillar of fire with all the people gathered around in their tents, they almost look like sheep. Sheep gathered around the legs of the shepherd. Solomon will one day build a temple, and when he does, he puts two pillars in the temple. And he gives names to them, Jehoiakim and Boykin, I think. Go to the next slide, it says what they're called. He erected pillars of bronze at the portico of the temple. One was called Jachin, the other Boaz. And he made these things out of bronze because it was the one substance that would be hit by the sun and it would actually look like it was on fire. So some think that he purposely put the, the two pillars in the temple to look like pillars of fire, that these were God's legs. And what it look like for us to follow his lead, to trust God to take the next step. There's times you want to slow down and God says, nope, it's time to keep going. Sometimes you want to run ahead and God says, time to slow down. The shepherd sets the pace. Also in Isaiah, it says, the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. It's the place I put my legs. So God is guiding. Now, unlike the Egyptians who beat them from behind, God led them from ahead. And that's what the shepherding leadership is about. We lead from ahead. We show by example. We model this. There's times we go, whoa, whoa, come on, follow along with me. But we're not drivers. We're shepherds. We're shepherd leaders in this process. Some of the things we've done as elders, even from the early days, one of the things I appreciate about our elder team and our exec board. So we got in this property. It was 2008. We started building. But two years before that, we prayed about this property. It was right in the middle of the recession. We wondered. We, we had people who had been giving for four years and other people have been giving for two years. We had a lot of cash in hand, but we were just wondering and discerning, should we move forward? It's a lot of scary time. Who knows what the, the economy is going to do, et cetera. We, we came out here and prayed for the hundredth time right, right over here in our lower parking lot. We gathered 200 people together over by this old lake um, and brainstormed together and prayed together. And we just felt like God was telling us to step out. So much so that because of the timing of the events and people looking for business and the time of the economy, we were able to build this building debt-free because of the giving of people over, over four years and two years. And if you try to build this building today, it would cost three times the amount. But I remember praying and fretting about well, how are we going to do this and should we do this and is this wise at the time. That's from our groundbreaking, and then that's from Church on the Green back in 2007. We brought the whole community out here, and we made little butterflies to represent the, the way in which God transforms us. And we all placed butterflies. Actually, right here, we had a balloon, a red balloon right here. And this was 12 feet down because we moved 310,000 cubic yards of dirt. That's 210 truckloads a day for 90 days on this property, inspiring many new ordinances in Indian Hill, I might add. Uh, <laughs> red balloon right here, and we put butterflies all over the the area here. Many are probably still under the dirt to say, God, we hope you use this place to transform people. I remember the fear. I remember the anxiety. And I remember thinking, hey, we, God's calling us to move forward. In fact, even the last couple of years, we're trying to figure out what to do with our student ministry, high school in particular. And so a year and a half ago, we started neighborhood groups. And at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock and 10, I'm just really honored that many students, many of you are high school students, come in and listen to me speak. And I appreciate that. That's a real honor to me. And our student ministry many times feels like we can't compete with the band and we can't compete with Chad. 
And so we started doing neighborhood groups to create more community. We're going to continue to grow that aspect. But one of the things we've been praying about is what's, what's a way that we can create an environment that's really compelling for our, our high school students. So I think we're going to start in June, for example, is the first Sunday of the month. We are going to at the 10 o'clock service and 1110 service. We're going to have a, you know, knock your socks off uh, service for high school students up in, up in the student theater. We're bringing in a college band who's going to perform music once a month. We're going to have great communication. We're going to tell folks about the different neighborhood groups we have. But they feel like we could do one a month awesome at 10, 11, 10, um, and then have the students, instead of trying to pull students out of this environment, let's just encourage them to come in and learn with their parents. But let's have once a month at 10, 11, 10, an opportunity for high school students to gather together, meet other people they don't even know attend here, and create that. So that, you're going to hear more information about that, but that's our next stage of something we're trying to do better at. And so we're going to do that the first Sunday of the month, with the exception of July, because that's July 5th. We're going to do it on the second Sunday of the month. Some more information coming on that. But that's what leaders do. You say, okay, here's what's working. Here's what could work better. Hey, let's try this. Let's have the freedom to, to make some changes. Let's have some freedom to fail. Let's, let's reevaluate. Let's put quality control in place. That's what it's about. Our third lesson is the lesson of this, is that shepherds use persuasion, not coercion when directing. Remember, the Egyptians were all beating people into place. The shepherd wasn't behind them beating. He was in front of them persuading, modeling, living a life and inviting people into that life. One of my favorite quotes from the book is this. It says, how do I provide direction for them so I feel like they're shepherd and not a barking dog from behind? That's what Ted asked. Jack said this, with gentle taps and not hard swings. First, when directing your people, use persuasion, not coercion. Instead of making pronouncements, make requests. Offer suggestions and ideas. Don't dictate and demand. Instead, advocate and recommend. And haven't you worked under leaders that did that? The invited dialogue, they asked questions versus those who dictated and you didn't have as much ownership. You were just, you were just putting in place somebody else's idea. Whereas other leaders had a way of, of drawing you in and you felt like this is our idea together. It's exactly what God did. Look what God does in this passage in Exodus. It's so profound. God did not lead them the way of the land of the Philistines. They've just come out of the Red Sea. And the short path to where they're going would be here, but they've got to go through the land of the Philistines. Where they're not battle-ready, they're not prepared. If I was one of the Israelites at the time, I'd say it's not very efficient what we're doing. This isn't the best way what we're doing. Let's get there quicker. I don't want to waste time. It says God did not lead them the short way through the land of the Philistines, although it was near, although it was shorter. God said, hey, as a shepherd, I know they're not ready for this. They're not prepared for this. Lest my people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So instead, God led them a long way around by the way of the wilderness, by the Red Sea. Now, if you're one of the sheep, you're like, why are we taking the long way? But the shepherd had seen in advance There's danger over there, and you're not quite ready for this yet. So we're going to take the long way, the inefficient way, because I want to prepare you before we encounter war. And look at this phrase. And the Lord went before them, ahead of them by day, in a pillar of cloud to lead them, by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. That's what shepherds do. They persuade. They They see the scheme ahead. They know where their people are. Hey, I'm not sure we're ready for that, but we do need to get ready for that. Let's take the long way during this season because we've got to be prepared for that. They're going to eventually attack us, so we've got to have some time of rest. They, they keep the flock on the move. 
way of saying we've got to prepare for the next thing, but they also don't push so hard that, that people lose hope and lose morale. It's this incredible dance that the shepherd uses his staff of direction to do. I remember working for two leaders. Both of them had incredibly high standards. One had been an uh, executive in the oil industry in the, in the Shetland Islands in Scotland before he got called into a ministry to be a pastor. Went to seminary and then came out and he would sit down. He had incredibly high standards for services, incredibly high standards for mistakes on, on, on screens and music and charts. And I'm, I remember he'd sit in my room if, if we were reviewing a service because I was a creative arts director. He'd say, Chad, we pay a lot, but we expect a lot. And I remember that brought the best out of me. My creative mind, my strategic mind, my ability to think through details got so much better. But I also knew he cared about me. It was during that time that I was being attacked by these two people. I remember him coming to my office. His name's Peter. He said, Chad, you know I'm not a hugger. I said, Peter, I know you're not a hugger. He said, so I'm not a hugger. He goes, but grab my hand. It's kind of weird, too. He grabbed my hand. He goes, I want you to know I am with you in this. I'm going to help you through this. Don't quit. I've got your back. I remember that. That's been almost 20 years now. He had my back. High standards, much more perfectionist than I was, but he called the best out of me. But it's because I was confident in his protection of me that I trusted his direction of me. When he would nudge me hard, I'd be like, oh, that wasn't totally called for. But I know he wants the best for the church, for me. And I would respond to his direction. I had another boss who micromanaged to death. He also had high standards, but they seemed to flow out of a place of fear and insecurity. I never felt ownership. I felt like in fact, it took me a year and a half before I even said it was my church. I mean, I was one of the lead pastors. And I kept saying, your church in meetings. So they called me out. Chad, do you work here, don't you? You keep referring to it as your church. Oh, that's right. That was an unconscious way I wasn't even purposely doing that I didn't feel like I was in it, that I was part of the vision, that my ideas were being incorporated. Both had high standards. Both were leaders. One, I wanted to do my best. The other, I had to do my best. One, I wanted to own it and, and, and saturate that through the organization. The other one, I checked in my time and said, well, that's somebody else's problem. You've been there, haven't you? What would it look like for us as shepherds, as parents, as grandparents, as employers, as colleagues, to have developed such incredible trust that people know we're trustworthy? They're so confident that we're out to protect them, that we have their best interests at our heart, that they're going to trust our direction. And we don't need to work so much harder on vision casting the direction better. That's good stuff. But before that, we need to work hard at building the trust, the confidence that we're out for the same things and with a heart that's trustworthy. It's then that people trust our direction. So I think that's our takeaway and that's our question. And it's this. How can I, as I communicate direction to my kids, how can I communicate my protection, my heart for them? In the context of the direction. Sometimes we're good. Don't do that. Don't do this. How do I communicate my heart is for you? I want the best for you. Jesus did that. Jesus, the shepherd, came down and said, I want to protect you from the ultimate problem. An eternity without God. And if all things were fair, you would go to the cross. But I don't want you to go to the cross. So I'm going to go on the cross for you. And I'm going to let them spit on me. And I'm going to let them push a crown of thorns on me with gigantic 
two, three inch thorns into me. I'm going to have them nail me to a cross. I'm going to have them push me. And more than that, that wasn't the worst of it. The physical thing was nothing. As he stood up there bold saying, this is what I was called to. It was then that God had to look away from him as he poured all the wrongdoing of all people onto him. And you look at that shepherd on the cross and you go, that's a guy who took a bullet for me. That's a person who had my protection. He actually says in the Bible, you say, I don't know if I believe that. Let me tell you why you'd want to. It says that Jesus, when he died on the cross, was taking on all evil forces, all predators, all betrayal, all source of lies. It was at that moment he defeated them. Even death could not defeat him. And he said, I am out to sacrifice. I am out to model something. I'm taking on death before it comes to you. And I will protect you. And when that, when that really clicks, when that penny drops, God starts saying, here's the best way to live life. And you go, I don't know if I'd do it that way. But I trust the shepherd's heart. And when I trust his heart, I want other people to trust mine. So maybe it's one of these lessons this week. Maybe you want to focus on building allegiance in a relationship. Maybe you're somebody who has a tendency to keep your head down like the sheep. And as a leader, you're going to get challenged to get out in front, to keep people moving, to look at the next stage. Or maybe you've become more like the Egyptians. You're more somebody to uh, coerce your kids or your grandkids, to coerce your employees. And God would say, hey, follow my example. Watch how I led from out front. Don't be a barking dog. Be a shepherd. In this series, we've continued watching the story of John Patchell. Our first week, John was lost. He needed a shepherd. He met a guy, and the guy said, John, I want to help lead you and shepherd you. And I want you to see a video clip of their relationship and how it built over time. And how he learned to trust this man who began to listen and speak truth into his life. Let's watch. And then he said, yeah, let's, let's, let's meet and um, we'll, see, um, we'll see if, uh, if we both want to move forward. I, I knew what I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be a, a Bible beater or I had all these, uh, these images of... of of what this could look like that really created, frankly, some fear in me. My judgmental mind thought, oh, no, I'm not going to have anything in common with this guy. And a few minutes later, uh, we're sitting down in the coffee shop, and I am just vomiting my life story. You know, most of the things that John was in, I had been in. So, I mean, I, I knew the pain of that stuff. This man continued to meet with me uh, week after week, and I just couldn't understand in my grid why this man would volunteer his time uh, with no um, and, and pay for, for every other breakfast. And I kept waiting for kind of the hammer to drop. When, you know, I thought, well, this is he's, he's going he's gonna to ask me for something. There's something more, more to this. And um, this man uh, absolutely didn't judge me. And I thought, wow, there's... There, there's, there's truth to this. Most of the, uh, of my part in him, was uh, listening, encouraging, uh, allowing him to, uh, to get into that, into his well, and get all of it out from the beginnings until, you know, I just listened and listened and listened and listened, basically. And I would ask questions, but John would just, just opened up his, his everything that there was there. I felt comfortable um, telling him uh, about my life because he really shared a lot of his life. He shared a lot of 
where he had been, uh, what he had experienced, uh, uh, and then I realized that wow, we had we had quite a bit in common. Uh, here was a man that uh, had had experienced uh, a lot of the same truth uh, that I had, and uh, and he, he just he just really made it comfortable for me to start sharing uh, more of my truths and more of um, uh, what was inside me. And as he and I started sharing more about the truths of our lives and um, and not not subject to shame or guilt or uh, condemnation it was just it was just brand new to me I had never ever been in a situation uh, most religious settings I'd been into is um, how you doing oh fine fine everything's great family's great business is great everything is great and that's kind of what I knew and and so um, and so to have this kind of relationship and to include this man named Christ in this, uh, I didn't think fit together. And, um, and so he really introduced me um, to a Christ I had never known. It's getting hot and all that demo we were doing earlier. Well, maybe that's for you. We all need direction, don't we, in some area of our life? And maybe you're like, I'm not sure about the Jesus thing yet. I've been coming for a little bit. I still don't trust that if I gave my life to God, he's going to ask me to do all things I hate. Right? It's trust. It's a trust problem. He's going to make me do things and say things and sabotage things. And maybe you're saying, I'm not ready to be a Christ follower yet, but I'm open to maybe being a God follower. Because if God can lead so well, I can see how those principles might work for me too. Or maybe today you're like, I am a Christ follower. I am a God follower. But man, I'm not doing a very good job of following and God, I admit, God, I'm stopping when you're going, and I'm going when you're stopping. So let me just give you a quick way to respond to God in prayer. Just say, God, I want to follow you. Just the words of those songs. Let's pray together. Just pray in your own words. Just say, God, I want to follow you. I want to learn to trust you more. Help me to see your heart. Help me to lead like you in my home, in my job, in my community. And if you're ready, you can even say, Jesus, I need forgiveness for ways I've led people poorly. And I thank you for taking the bullet for me. And I invite you into my life to lead me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for Flock Watchers. Next week, we're going to look not at the staff, but at the rod of correction, how to use that. Appreciate you being here. If you came prepared to give, there's some offering boxes on the way out. Uh, we'd love to put a name with a face and get a chance to meet you. The third door on your left is the hearth room. Again, we'd love to say hi. Thanks again. We'll see you all next week.